morning. Pastor Bill was on vacation last week, uh, so he is not preaching this morning. I have the pleasure of leading us in our time of Bible study this morning. My name is Dan. I'm the children's pastor at Great Oaks. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called One Another. And uh, for the past five weeks, we looked at a few one another's to see how they apply to our lives as Christ followers. And uh, the first was to, to uh, love one another. The second was to belong to one another. Then it was submit to one another. And then it was encourage one another. And, and today we're going to continue on in that, in that study of, of a one another in the book of Colossians, actually. So as that you turn with me, please, to the book of Colossians. And then as you're turning there, I also want to draw your attention to a uh, toolbox that I have on stage. As you would suspect, in a toolbox I have some tools. And uh, so most of these tools that I have in here are designed for, for demolition, for taking things apart. And, uh, but these tools also, they also uh, like represent something else, all right? This morning these tools are going to represent tools that Satan uses, that he uses to do his own form of demolition, to tear things apart, to tear, to tear relationships apart, to separate people. And he's very good at using these tools. We're going to go over just a couple of those this morning. The first is the sledgehammer. The sledgehammer of blame, right? I can't believe you did that again. Pow. Right? It's not my fault. Not my fault. Bam. Right? Why do you always bam? Right? That'll tear a relationship apart fast. Not one to take responsibility. Then we have a saw. Got a saw. Saws are oftentimes used to build things, but sometimes they're used to take things apart. This is the saw of gossip. You won't believe what I just found out about so-and-so. Guess who I just saw down the street? Man, I can't wait to tell someone what I just heard. Gossip. That'll destroy a church, won't it? Then we have the pry bar. The pry bar of jealousy. Oh, man, it's not fair. It's just not fair. Oh, man, I can't believe they make that much money and they spend it that way, right? And if I could just be more, be more like that person down there. Pry bar of jealousy. I'm not really going to spend any more time on, on these tools this morning, but I'm going to spend some time on our next tool. This next tool, the devil is skilled at using this tool. 
It's a wedge. A wedge. And this wedge has a name also. And it's unforgiveness. The wedge of unforgiveness. And man, oh man, it can destroy a lot of things. It'll destroy marriage. It'll ruin a family. It'll tear a church apart. It can ruin the workplace. And the devil, man, he loves it. He is skilled at using it. What he likes to do is to get just the tip of that wedge in, find a weak spot, put it right into our spirit, just hammer it down a little bit. And then it leaves for a while. And he lets the wedge begin to do its dirty work. And he comes back, knocks it in a little bit further. Now, at this point, we're starting to get critical of somebody, overly sensitive, condemning because of unforgiveness. And the devil comes back, taps it down a little bit further. Now it's really starting to put a strain on the relationship, right? Right? Now things are tough. And then he comes back a little while later and he finishes it off, completely severs that relationship. Broken, done with. And then he's not, he's not done, the devil's not done. He'll take it. He'll start on your next relationship. Boom, 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 boom. Unforgiveness, 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 unforgiveness. Right? Bam! Relationship two, broken. On down the line. We're going to take a look at unforgiveness, but not necessarily unforgiveness as much as forgiveness because it's easy for us to be unforgivers. That's natural. We don't have to work at that. But forgiveness, that can be difficult sometimes. So we're going to look at that this morning. But we're going to look at it as part of a larger picture. The theme of unity. The theme of unity. Unity among the church. Unity among the believers of Christ, unity in families and in marriages. To do that, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. I ask that you turn there if you haven't found it already. Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to read the first 17 verses. But before I read it, I'm going to give you a little background. Paul is, read, uh, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae. Paul is in Rome, and he's under house arrest. He's under house arrest because he's preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. He's preaching that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that he is the only way to have our sins forgiveness and to have a relationship with God the Father. And he's preaching it, and people don't want to hear it. They're tired of it. So they throw him in jail. They throw him in dungeons. They put him in house arrest. They beat him. They stone him. They throw him out of town. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. We don't want to hear that anymore. Right? Doesn't work. Paul keeps preaching and preaching and preaching. Now he's in house arrest in Rome, and he's preaching through a letter. And he's writing to the church at Colossae. And the reason he's writing them is because he's found out from a friend that the church at Colossae has got a problem, a big problem. 
and it's got heresy being taught in that church. It's, it's sneaking its spindly fingers into that church. And there's false teachings that are beginning to be taught there and spread in that church. And it's causing disunity. It's causing problems. So Paul, in chapters 1 and 2, he spends a lot of time addressing some of those false teachings, especially the, the, the supremacy of Christ. Christ is God's son, ruler of the world, creator of the world. Right? He addresses that. He addresses some other issues in chapter 1 and 2. And then in chapter 3, Paul switches his focus a little bit. And he tells the church at Colossae, he says, this is how you should be living. As Christ followers, live this way. So then he begins to lay it out for them. All right? So I want you to notice as we go through this chapter this morning, how the theme of unity is kind of woven throughout this chapter. All right, so follow along as I read. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Then in the next few verses, Paul goes on, and he tells the believers in Colossae how to get along as family members, as husband, wives, children, slaves, masters, right? He's got this theme of unity in this chapter. Let's go back up to verse 11. It says, Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. All right, so Paul, Paul addresses these different people groups, right? So there's eight of them. 
And he starts there with the Gentile. Now, I don't, I don't understand why uh, the, most recent, the most recent version of the, new, of the New International Version translated this word as Gentile. And all the other Bibles I looked at said Greek. And I think Greek's the best way to translate the word. So here this morning, if you don't have an NIV, it probably says, um, here there is no Greek or Jew. And we're going to talk about the Greeks for a minute, all right? So the Greeks were the, the sophisticated. They were the cultured. Uh, they were the button-up group, right? Everything was proper. They were very proud of their culture. They were especially proud of their, of their Greek language. And if you didn't speak Greek, then you weren't as good as they were. So they thought, right? If you didn't speak Greek, they had a word for you. It was barbarian. And the word barbarian translated means one who says barbar, right? So they're making fun of them. Barbarian, right? The Greeks thought they were better than everyone else. Then there's the Jews. Well, the Jews were God's chosen people through whom he would bring the, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. Well, the Jews knew this. And so they thought, well, we're naturally better than everyone else, right? We're God's chosen people. No one... No one else can claim that. We're better than everyone else. That's what they thought. They were mistaken, but that's what they thought. So then he moves on to the circumcised and the uncircumcised, right? So now he's talking about the Jew and the Gentiles, right? So the Jews felt like, like they had to obey all the laws, their tradition, their laws were very important to them. And then the Gentiles, they didn't do all that, right? They didn't, they didn't think it was necessary and important to follow all those laws. So the Jews and the Greeks, they didn't, they didn't really mix very well. Right, so then you have the barbarians. I already talked just a moment. I talked about them briefly. And then the Scythians. All right, so we got the Scythians. They, they were like uh, seen as savages. They were a brutal group of people. All right. And so uh, people consider them maybe, maybe just a notch above the wild animals. All right. And you got your slaves. Slaves weren't even seen as people. They were the bottom Rung. They were the dirt on which the ladder sat. They didn't have rights. They didn't have privileges. They were tools. Tools that breathed is what they were, all right? They're, they're the lowest. He lists all these people, all right? And he says, guys, girls, church, here, he says that at the beginning, he says here. When he says here, he means the church, here. There are none of these people classifications. Get rid of them. And then at the end of that verse, he says, Christ is all, and then that little phrase at the end, don't miss the phrase at the end, and is in all. Christ is in all. What's he mean? He's saying, because Christ is in our brothers and sisters in our church, our fellow believers, they have Christ. So their value, their value goes up exponentially. Now, everyone has the same value, and it's eternal value. Right? He's saying, don't pay attention to the outside. Pay attention to who's on the inside. And who's on the inside? It's Christ. Let me illustrate to you like this. Say I had five boxes up here on stage today, all right? So I got a box over here. It's like a nice, polished, finished mahogany box. It's very pretty. All right. Next to it, there's an old cardboard box. Then I got a Tupperware box, 
Then I got like a, uh, let's say I got like a rusty bucket. We'll call them containers. I got like a rusty bucket. And then, and then maybe I got like a jewelry box and then maybe a, like a paper envelope. And if I called you up here this morning, I said, take any one of these boxes, whatever box you want. You'd look at the boxes and say, well, you know what? I got to straighten up my basement. I got a messy basement. I need that Tupperware. I need a Tupperware box. I'm going to take that home, right? So you take the Tupperware home. Maybe someone else comes over and say, man, I got all this jewelry. I got rings and necklaces. Not even where to put them. I'm going to take the jewelry box. Someone else got a package to mail tomorrow. I'm going to take the paper envelope, right? So you come up and you decide which one's more valuable to you at the time that you need to get something done. And you take the container. But now, you change things up. And I take a check for a million bucks. And I put the million dollar check in each one of these containers. And I call you up. And I say, take any one of these containers. Which one do you want? You aren't going to care, right? It doesn't matter to you. As long as you get one of them. As long as you get one, you're, you're good to go, right? Why is that? Because of what's on the inside. The value comes on what's on the inside of those containers. Suddenly, all these containers are worth the same value, practically nothing. But on the inside, they're worth a lot. And Paul's telling the church, man, don't pay attention to nationalities. Don't pay attention to race. Don't pay attention to economic status. Don't pay, don't pay attention to a language. You've got to see who's on the inside. And Christ is on the inside. If you're brothers and sisters in Christ in a church and you're followers of Christ, there's no room for division because we all have Christ in us and we're all the same value and it's an eternal value. Three keys this morning I'm going to give you so that, so that you can have unity in your church in your families, in your marriages, at work? One, see other brothers and sisters in Christ with eternal value of Christ living inside of them. Don't look down your nose. We're all the same inside if Christ is in us. And he was writing to the church. He was writing to a group of Christians. And he said, there's not room for these silly divisions. We're all loved by Christ and indwelt by Christ. Key number one, see Christ inside your brothers and sisters. Two, let's keep reading. Verse 12, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive one another. That's a big word. It's not so much big because of the amount of letters it takes to spell it. It's big because of how it can impact our life. Forgiveness. And then it says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I thought a lot about that over the past couple of weeks getting ready for this message. And I thought, how did God forgive me? How did God forgive me? When I went to God and confessed my sin and said, God, I'm a sinner and I need it 
removed. How do you do it? There's a, there's a lot of things that took part in that moment. But there's a couple that seem to rise above the rest. The first is this. It's instant. Instant. God forgives us instantly. There's a beautiful story in the New Testament that describes this. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, this is how the story goes. First off, like a parable is a fictional story that teaches us an important lesson. Okay? So this is the story of the prodigal son. Jesus loved to teach him parables. All right? So this is how this story went. There was, a, there was a wealthy landowner, and he had two sons. And the youngest son went up to him one day and says, Dad, I'm going to get out of here. Right? So the youngest son chose to rebel. And he says, Dad, can I have my inheritance early? Because I'm going to leave here, go do my own thing. Dad says, okay. Game is money. The son takes off, goes out into the world, lives it up, parties, wildlife. All right? Goes out there, spends all his money. Finds himself feeding pigs. And he couldn't even get permission to eat the pig food. He's starving. And he thinks, man, I know that my father's servants have more food than they can eat. I'm going back. I'm going to go back and apologize to my dad for this terrible decision. And see if he'll hire me on as one of his workers. So he goes Back to the father. The father, the story tells us, the father sees his son coming from a long way off. And he runs to his son. And he wraps his arms around him. And he kisses his son. Then he puts a robe on his son. And then he tells his servants, he says, kill the fattened calf. We're throwing a party. My son, he was dead. But now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And we're celebrating. That father in that story, he represents God the Father. And what did he do? He ran to his son. And he forgave him instantly. What he didn't do was stay on the porch and have his son walk up to him and apologized, and then he didn't say, all right, son, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to have you work for me for five months, and I'm going to see how sincere you are. And if you work really hard and you do a really good job, then I'm going to have you back. I'm going to have you back as part of my family. Didn't do that. He forgave him instantly. Friends, if you find yourself in a situation where someone comes to you and they ask you for forgiveness, forgive them instantly. There's no probationary period. There's no time to test their sincerity. Forget that. Forgive them. Forgive them. Instantly, as your father forgave you. The second aspect of God's forgiveness that kept coming back to my mind is it's complete. It's complete forgiveness. 
There's a verse in the Bible. If you haven't memorized it, you should memorize it. It's terrific. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. Not some of our unrighteousness. Not a little, not most, all of our unrighteousness. Friends, are you here today? And you can put your head down at night and know, man, I'm forgiven. I've done some dumb things against my God, but man, he's forgiven me. All of it, not most of it, not some of it, not a little of it, it's gone. And if you're here today and someone comes to you and they ask you for forgiveness, forgive all of it. Water under the bridge. It's not just under the bridge, it's gone. It's down the waterfall, it's out the river, it's in the ocean, it's evaporated, it's done. And don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Be done with it. If you keep bringing it up, you haven't forgiven them. It's over. Instant and complete forgiveness. That's what God gives us when we come to him. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. But maybe you're here today and God's whispering in your ear. And he's saying, you know that thing a while back? You haven't taken care of it yet. Got an issue with a brother or a sister and you need to take care of it. It's real easy, friends. Turn the radio up. Drown out God's voice. Don't want to hear that. Uh-uh, God, I don't want to deal with that. But if you hear today and God's whispering in your ear, he's saying, hey, you got something you need to take care of. I'm going to give you a couple of things to keep in mind as you go and ask for forgiveness. And I can tell you these things because unfortunately, I've got a lot of practice. All right. First off, Do it in person. Don't send a text. Don't send an email. Do it in person. Why? Because that person you're asking for forgiveness needs to see your sincerity. And they can't see that in an email. They need to see your humility. That's part of the act of asking for forgiveness. If you can't do it in person, call them up on the phone. They can sense your sincerity over the phone. Do it in person. Number two, be specific. No general apologies accepted. Bad idea. It's so easy, right? Oh, man, you know that thing I did a while back when I said that thing? Sorry about that. No, that doesn't cut it. Be specific. Tell them how you offended them. They know already. And ask for forgiveness and be specific. That will allow them to be clear on how they forgive you. And it gets down to the root. One more thing. Don't delay. Man, don't delay. Trust me. The longer you wait, the harder it gets. And the deeper this wedge of unforgiveness sinks into your spirit. The longer you wait, the more the devil's working behind the scenes to cause division and stress in your relationship. 
The longer you wait, the more fear he's going to bring into your life. What if that apology goes bad? What if they don't give me their forgiveness? What if, what if, what if? Don't worry about it. But do it soon. The longer you wait, the harder it gets, the more stress on your relationship. Now, friends, I know that in a group this size, there are some people here whose wounds run very deep. I understand. Maybe you've been severely wounded by the actions of someone else or the words of someone else. I understand. And you're thinking, damn, I can't do it. Can't do it. Impossible. The wound is too deep. I'm going to say a couple of things that I hope encourages you. Okay? First off, don't give up. Don't give up. That verse we read earlier where it says, Christ is in all. When you give your life to Christ and you ask for forgiveness, he comes into you. He sends his spirit into your life. You know what he does? He does miracles. He does things that we can never possibly do on our own. And bringing healing is one of them. And forgiveness is part of that healing. Let me urge you also. First off, don't give up. Leave room for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't close that door. Secondly, if you haven't already, I'd like for you to find some good Christian counseling. Right? People who are going to read the word of God with you speak the word of truth over your life, pray with you, and show you what the power of the word of God can do in your life. Good Christian counseling, directing you to the freedom that comes only through Christ. And one more thing. I say it's just maybe it could possibly encourage some of you. I don't know, but uh, I've been wanting to read a book for a long time, long time. It's an older book. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to read that book as I get ready for the sermon. And so I picked it up and I read it. I didn't pick it up. I actually bought it on the computer and I read it. All right. It's about, a, it's about a girl named Dory. Dory Van Stone. She was actually a family friend of my parents. I don't know her personally, but, but she's kind of a family friend of my parents and my aunt and uncle and stuff like that. And it's called Dory, the girl nobody loves. And as you read that story, she's not kidding. It's heartbreaking. It's devastating what she went through as a child and as an orphan. The first half of the book is about her life growing up, and it's heartbreaking. The second half of the book is about her as a missionary. And it's a fast read. It's only, I don't know, not that big of a book, 150 pages maybe. But at the end of the book, she gives some really good insights as to how she was able to be healed through forgiving these people who did horrendous things to her. Dory, the girl nobody loved. Maybe it'll be a source of encouragement to some of you who have wounds that you're trying to deal with. But I urge you all to read it. Because you're reading that going, wow, man, how God can redeem the broken. And forgiveness is a huge part of it. Dory Vanstone story the girl nobody loved now so I've covered two keys this morning 
The first is seeing the value of Christ in your brothers and sisters who are also Christians. Two, forgiving one another. We got one more. And it's in uh, the next series of verses here. Starting in verse uh, six, uh, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. That's a strange sentence in the middle of that paragraph. You read that through a few times, and you see those words. It's a three-sentence, it's a three-word sentence, and be thankful. If you've heard me preach before, you know that I touch on that topic quite a bit. Part of the reason why is because Paul mentions it so much in his letters. And if I'm preaching through a book that Paul has written, it's, it's naturally there. He brings it up at least 30 times in his, in his different letters. Sometimes he's telling us to be thankful as a way to worship God. Sometimes he's telling us to be thankful as a way to get through a difficulty. This time he's telling us to be thankful as a way to create unity. Why is that? How does that work? Let me illustrate to you like this. Maybe some of you can, can really relate to this picture I'm about to paint. But let's say that you were married or, or you're married and you got kids, two, three, four kids, whatever. And uh, let's say it's evening time and it's time for dinner. And either you and your spouse, you're cooking dinner for your family. And what you really want that night is a nice, peaceful, enjoyable dinner with your family. But other people in the house are preventing that from happening. <laughs> Maybe they're fighting, bickering, arguing, being negative, selfish somehow, whatever, right? I'm sure that never happens to anyone here but me. And a lot of times, I'm the one causing the problem. I admit it, okay? Sometimes it's my kids. Now, but what you really want that night is just a nice, enjoyable dinner together but there's too much stress and arguing and bickering in the house. And so someone says, find something to be thankful about. Find something to be thankful about. Why is that? I find myself telling that to my kids. Why is that? Because it's impossible to be over here and to be thankful for something that God has blessed you with and then to be arguing with your brother or sister or spouse or whatever over here, right? I mean, you can't do both. You can't be thankful over here and be arguing at the same time. Thankfulness turns our attention to God and away from the things that the other person's doing to us that we don't like. Question. How many marriages would be transformed if the bickering and the arguing would stop and the thanksgiving would start. You want unity? You want unity in your small group? You want unity in your marriage? You want unity in your family? You want unity with your coworkers? Try thanksgiving and see what happens. Three keys. Three keys to unity that Paul is telling the church at Colossae because these false teachings, these worldly philosophies have crept into the church and it's destroying, it's causing problems, it's causing stress, fracturing relationships. So Paul says, hey, hey, be unified. 
This is how you do it. One, focus on the worth of the other people you spend your time with. And for those Christians, the people understand Christ is inside of them just like he's in you. Two, forgive one another just as God's forgiven you. And three, be thankful. Be thankful. Friends, my dream, my hope, my desire, my prayer is that I, I live a unified life with my spouse, my kids, my family, my neighbors, my coworkers, my church. That's my desire for you also. Don't let this wedge in. Don't let it in. Man, it's nasty. It's dirty. It'll destroy relationships fast. Be done with it. Done with it. We need to understand who we worship. Jesus, creator, our savior. And he lives inside of us. And he gives us the power through his Holy Spirit to live unified lives. Man, let's let him do it. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it's there to guide us, to erect us, to instruct us, to teach us, to encourage us. God, we pray that we live by it. God, I pray for the families and the church as a whole here at Great Oaks Community Church. May division have no place. May we be unified. May we practice seeing the value of Christ in our brothers and sisters, forgiving each other, being thankful in church and small groups, but at home with our families and our marriages, with our neighbors, our coworkers. May the love and the peace of Jesus Christ fill us up. God, we thank you for your great love for us, so much so that you sent your perfect son to earth to die for me and to die for us. God, we thank you for loving us first. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. You gave it to us because you love us, and we thank you for that. May we remember that love and enjoy that love and celebrate that love all day and all week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.